Last year we were under uh, becoming Melchizedekian priests and understanding the priesthood. Amen. That was pretty good. Y'all got a lot of information. But I was uh, shocked by how much sin and degradation existed on teachings regarding priesthood. You know, if I'm getting tips on being a priest in the, in the house of God and in his kingdom, I'm going to focus in that year. Excuses would be down to a minimum. Distractions to a minimum. Sin, not even a question, because I am trying to become a priest. Make sense? So you can imagine my dismay that at the top of the year and all the information that we received about being a priest and a servant of God, serving God and his people, that the majority of my church remained unchanged. You took steps, but you think you was ready to be a priest? Maybe one or two of you. Amen? <laughs> All right, so this year, okay, I'm declaring this the year of reformation. Wow, amen. The year, y'all don't seem that excited. Maybe because you don't know what the word means. Just break it down. Reformation. 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 It's the same word. Reformation. See, now even Jessica is getting excited, and she the visitor. And look at y'all. Y'all still sitting in your seats. Y'all ain't even right. You, and some of y'all, you know you need to be reformed, okay? You sitting on your bottom like you don't need your butt to be reformed. Your whole body need to be reformed. Your mind need to be reformed. Your legs, your knees, your heart, your emotions, all of it need to be redone. I don't know what's gotten into your legs, but you better loosen them up today. Hello? I expect to see butts up, and instantly the Spirit of God moves you. Do you understand? Well, we're going to take this fast a whole lot longer because you can't even get out your seat. <laughs> sit on down. Sit on down. <laughs> the year of reformation to be reformed. If you reform something, you make changes to it internally. To reform something means that you change it from within, not from without. If you're reforming an organization, a political party, a group, what you're saying is that we're going to change it from inside. You need to be a member of that thing in order to reform it, okay? You cannot be, you cannot reform anything that you are not a member of. You have to be a participant. I'm preaching already. In order for reformation to happen. Most times, I think you guys have been living and we all have lived from time to time in a way that we are asking God to change us, but we are not a participant of that change. We sit and let life happen to us rather than joining with him in the reformation of what life is trying to do from the inside out. It's as if you're not even a part of your own organization or company. And you're just asking God to change you on the outside. You do it, oh God. Whatever you want to do, you do it, and you just, you just, you're not even a part. Life circumstances, trials, and tribulations come to you, and they just happen to you. Hello? But you are not a participant 
of how they should be reforming you, how they should be changing you. We're going to look at that today. Amen. Theological and theology buffs out here. All right. We're going to look at the the concept of reformation with Martin Luther and the reformation movement from the Catholic to the Protestant church. You will see aspects of that toward the tail end of this message. It's up to you to find it. Amen. I'm going to say it and you got to see it. Okay. All right. But you'll see where that reformation came from and why they called it the reformation. All right. We're going to look at that today as well. So a lot of bit of you and a, and, a, and a smidge of theology. All right. Today, um, throughout the year, we will have 52 messages. You've got 52, 51 weeks. You've got 51 weeks to be reformed. I am so serious about this that I have already designed every week for the rest of the year of your change. All I need you to do is participate. That's it. You just got to participate. You ain't got to be great at it. You just have to just, just be a part of it. Hello, somebody. Just participate in it. Amen. Amen. All right. At the end of this year, I want us to say that we were reformed in some major aspect of our lives, if not our entire lives. Amen. All right. So let's look at, let's look at Isaiah 43, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. When you're there, say amen. Isaiah is a prophet. It's a big book in the middle of the Bible. It takes up a lot of pages. Isaiah 41. I mean, 43, verse 1. Amen. You're there. All right. Y'all need a little swishy swishy a little bit all right but now thus says the lord he who created you O jacob he who formed you O israel fear not for i have redeemed you i have called you by name you are mine i want to underline the idea here of he who created you and he who formed you throughout chapters 42 43 and 44 there is a direct distinction between the creation of God and the forming ability of God. They're not the same. In the book of Genesis, we find that to be true. God created Adam and Eve, and then in another chapter, he formed man from the dust of the earth. Formation and creation in God's mind are not the same. And we're going to have to figure out what that means and how are they different. That's what we're going to look at today. So Jacob was created but Israel was formed. Now, as we know from some Bible history, you can kind of start understanding the use of these words. Jacob and Israel are the same person. Jacob's name was changed to Israel by God. Make sense? Israel, the person, then became a nation called Israel. All right? So Jacob was created and Israel was formed. That's just the first top. That's just the first layer where you can start to kind of see where we're going with this, right? Israel was formed, but how was Israel formed from one man named Israel? Let's do it again. Jacob and Israel are the same person, all right? Jacob's name changed to Israel. Israel as a person and then a family became a nation, all right? So how did God form the nation? 
He took one man, called him Israel, and then formed a nation. Okay, all right. You got that part, yes? It's going to a good place. Let's look at, let's look at chapter 43. I want to back up to chapter 42 a little bit. In order to, because chapter 43 starts, verse 1, starts with the word but. But now. Okay, so this would tell us that this is not standing by itself. But in order to understand this statement and this declaration, you have to refer to the previous chapter. Right? Because this is a but now. Something has shifted, something has changed, something is contrary to what it was previously. And in chapter 42, you can see this. Uh, chapter 42 discusses Israel's rejection of God and their failure to do something very key. All right. Um, uh, let's look at somewhere around verse 18 of chapter 42. Uh, we see that God is using the prophet Isaiah to discuss the movements of Israel, um, their waywardness, their darkness, how he felt about it. And so we pick up at verse 18 of chapter 42, which is the chapter just before 43. And verse 18 says, hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see, exclamation point. Somebody is yelling. Y'all be reading it like God is not yelling at you. He called you dumb and deaf, blind and deaf, and he did it with veracity. This was not, oh, come, you poor person. This is, listen, you deaf person. Look, you blind individual, right? Who was blind but my servant? Who was deaf but my messenger whom I send? Who was blind as my dedicated one or blind as a servant of the Lord? What? I just want you to highlight here that God is dissing his actual servants. He's saying of all the people that is blind, ain't nobody blinder than my servants. Out of all the people that are hard of hearing, ain't nobody else hard of hearing as much as my own messengers. Hello? Just in case you wanted to know, there's a rebuke here. There's a chastening here. There's some yelling. There's some what you might call offensive words. Some lack of appreciation for your attempts to be a good servant. Some lack of appreciation for your attempts to be a good messenger. Because in all that you did, you did it wrong. And he is correcting the idea that in all your attempts to do it right, you still did it wrong. And I know what y'all think. Y'all think that God is the kind of God that if you just really tried, that he not going to say, woe unto you. But here is a verse that even when you try and you get it wrong, he still has something to say. Okay? Well, I tried my best. Because I know that's how y'all think God is, because that's how you respond to me. When I correct you on something that you thought was nice and, and helpful and it was still wrong, why are you coming down on me? I, I did. I tried the best that I could. Now you can take a note from God. We will still correct when it is wrong. Amen. 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 He sees many things but does not observe them. He hears. His ears are open, but he does not hear. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all, all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with no one to rescue, 
spoil with no one to say restore. He's saying this deafness, this blindness, you have the function of hearing, but you really don't hear. You have the ability to see, but you don't really observe what you're looking at. He says, and now all of a sudden, your situation has gotten worse. You are imprisoned. You are hiding. Hello, somebody. And he says, and, and no one is saying we need to be restored back. No one is crying out. The Satan is just used, is just ravaging you. He just comes at you and steals all your joy. He comes at you and steals all your peace. He comes at you, and you're just, you're just a sitting duck waiting on him to just rob you of everything, and you don't even cry out, restore me, oh God. It's a sad day to be the treasure of God. Have Satan come in like a flood. And God wants to use you to raise the standard, but you hide in a hole. You hide in the hole of self-pity. You hide in the hole of doubt. You hide in the hole of depression and oppression. You hide in the hole of anger and frustration. You hide in the hole of bitterness, of selfishness, of egocentrism. You just dig yourself and you hide and you just let Satan just come at you. What am I supposed to do? This is how I feel. What am I supposed to do? This is what happened. Hello? You even now, what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to cry out, restore. You're supposed to cry out, restore. Like I remember a day where I was not dealing with this. I remember a day where I did not feel like this. I remember a time in my walk with God when this was not an issue. Now I have to say, restore me, oh God. Ain't nobody even saying restore. Ain't nobody even crying out. It's just like, whatever, you know, this is what life does. This is how God is. I guess you just got to blah, 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 blah. And you make him in cahoots with the enemy. Hello. Let's talk. We keep going. Let's just keep going. He says, the Lord was pleased to magnify his law and make it glorious. It, it pleased the Father that of all the fallen nations and people, Right? That he could say to a specific group of people, if you want to know me, here, follow my law. This excited him. Here, if you do this, you and I will, you will know me and I can really be with you. Just, just, just look at this as you live, do this law. And he was excited to give you a blueprint, and I a blueprint on how to live in such a way where we could understand the Father and two, he could be with us. That, that made him happy. Like, yes, you, you love me? Okay, you my people, we together. Look, this is what we're going to do. From now on, I need you to do these following things, and you're really going to have a chance to see me for who I really am. And, and, and when you do these things, I'm going to really have a chance to just be around you on a consistent basis. And this made him excited. This is what that word means, to magnify his law and make it glorious. Take all the churchy words out and just break it down for what it is, yeah. right? I was excited that you and I could come into covenant, vow one to another, and you decided that you really wanted to learn me as I gave you my name. And it made me happy to, to make who I am very clear to you. To write it all out. 
Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt. I mean, this, this, you, this, this is me, okay? This, 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 is, this is my top peeves, okay? These is my, these is my deal breakers. Hello, somebody. These are the things that really agitate me. If you want to get on my bad side, do one of these. And, he, and it excited him to be able to share that with you. Hello? No one is saying restore. They're just spoiled to the enemy. He says, who among you, this is verse 23, who among you will give ear to this, will attend and listen, watch this, for the time to come. He says, I am trying to have a conversation with you about what is getting ready to happen, and no one wants to listen. Your pit, your prison, your hole that you've dug, is probably far more important than what God is trying to relay about what is to come. And that shouldn't be. Right? Yeah. It shouldn't be. <laughs> Who gave up Jacob, Jacob to the looter? Verse 24. And Israel to the plunderers? Who put you in this situation? Who let Satan come in and ravage you? Who said it was all right for depression and oppression to come to your doorstep? Who said it was okay for worry, doubt, and fear to show up? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? In whose ways that we would not walk and whose laws that we would not obey. Let me stop right there. This is a part of Christianity that most Americans don't want to deal with. We don't want to correlate the idea that what we are suffering is a consequence of how we disobeyed God on a consistent and persistent basis. It's like when you feel like God forgives you, it should be done and over with, you shouldn't feel no more uncomfortability. No. What he's saying is I turned you over to them. You did not obey me, no matter how many times I told you, no matter how many times I instructed you, no matter how many helps I gave you, no matter how many services she preached, no matter how many Bible studies or prayers, no matter what I did, you still decided to do your own thing in your own way for years. Come on, let's not talk. But this, there wasn't no one mistake. That's, that's different. You know full well out that this was a habit and a practice of your life. Hello? He says, so I turned you over to all that ickiness you're feeling right now. What? Yep. I did. I did. You enemy coming at you like a flood? Exactly. That was the plan. See? See? See how I just don't even register to modern Christians? Why would he do that? He just said why. He just said why. Right? <clears throat> Where was I? So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. What? You say, he, the Lord, poured on him, me, the Israel, the Jacob, the heat of his anger and the might of battle? And that's, you about to go to war with God. Which is true of Jacob who wrestled God and true of the name Israel that means to struggle with God. He pretty much called you exactly what this is about to be, a war. Now I know when you sinned, 
you weren't thinking that you were declaring war with God. I know when you fell and did the mistake again and made the same situation and the same decision yet again, I know you were just thinking, oh, poor me, I'm the victim of this because I can't seem to get myself together. You did not recognize that you were assaulting the father to which he is saying, now we at war, which makes sense if sin and evilness comes from Satan and you decide to participate in those manners that somehow he would consider you an enemy. Hello? So when Peter, when Jesus told Peter, get behind me, Satan, see, that made sense. You're not mindful of what God is doing. You're mindful of you, of your feelings and what you want. And I ain't nobody but Satan. Because all my creation should be wanting what I want. Hence, they're my creation. So all my creation should be wanting that. So the fact that you don't want it is very reminiscent of my enemy. All right. So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set him on fire all around. But he did not understand. It burned him up. But he did not take it to heart. Come on now. Stop right there. Has that been you? Has God set your life ablaze? Hello, somebody. Has he, did it feel like God was fighting against you and his will and was bringing you low? Hello, somebody. He says, I burned up stuff. You lost your job. I moved this person. That situation is done. I destroyed all kinds of stuff. Relationships. I just set everything on fire all around you. You'd be like, everything is falling apart. Nothing is seeming to work. Ah! And he said, yep, I did it. And then the messed up part is, is you didn't even understand what he was doing. You don't understand why he set fire all around you, burned up everything on your outskirts. Huh? And then you didn't understand how he even, he burned you up. He didn't just touch your stuff, he touched you. You got angry with God. You got mad. You got bitter. You got frustrated. You got impatient. You got doubtful. You got unfaithful. Mm-hmm. He burned you up. And he says, and you didn't even take that to heart. Like if I feel my insides changing towards God, the first thing I'm supposed to do is say, oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Help me restore. I don't even know what's going on, but what I'm feeling is not right. And you are an amazing God. And you are a wonderful God. And all your ways are right. And all your ways are just. But no, we hide in our little holes and we scheme against him. What is he doing? Is this how it's supposed to go in my life? Is this what it's supposed to look like? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm talking to you. Uh-huh. Not crying out for rest- restoration. Not crying out that God will restore and show you what it is that he's doing. But instead, just angry what he's doing. And you're not even joining him and trying to see it, trying to figure it out on your own because you're already angry and upset with him. You don't say, hey, God, can you, what's, what's going on? You say, well, what's going on? See, it's difference in spirit. You may ask the same question, but he can look right in your heart. And even if you don't say it with an exclamation point, he knows where that feeling is coming from. 
knows what anger is, frustration, doubt. And the truth of the matter is, if you were a parent and your kid got frustrated because you disciplined them for doing something wrong, would you feel bad? But you expect God to feel bad that you feel bad. Hello? When I was a little girl, <coughs> one thing, I never wanted to be on punishment because I felt like it dragged on the anger and animosity between me and my parents. Like they were just more upset with me longer. And I had the propensity to be more upset with them during the entire period of my, my, my punishment. Every time I can't watch TV, <sighs> you know, and I didn't like that feeling. So I was always voting for the spanking or the beating, however you, you, know, you label it in your family. I was like, no, spank me. One and done. Short period of time of pain, a lot of impact, and guess what, we, go, we can go back to normal after that. See, some of y'all didn't want to go back to normal. Y'all would, as Sister Sheena said, you would hold that anger in so that you can continue to be upset with them. You can continue to say, I will never trust you again. I won't ever let that happen again. You see, I won't, I won't open my heart to you again. And you would feast on these emotions. Right? I wouldn't like that. I liked it when my house was peaceful. I liked it when me and my mom and dad got along. I enjoyed it. I look back at my childhood and I said, I, even to this day, I'm like, what? This was New Year's? Georgia won, that was great, but where's the shebang? And I recognized in my family, every holiday was a big deal. And they always made it magical for me. And I, as an adult, without my mom, I missed that. And I was like, well, why did I think it was supposed to be magical? That's how I was raised. Every holiday, every gathering was supposed to be a unique and fun experience. And I said to myself, I, was, I, was, I, had, I had a good family, a good life. Because even now, I'm like, where the, where the magic? <laughs> Nowhere. You are an adult. <laughs> so some of you go out to try to make magic. <laughs> Nevertheless, you don't want to grow up. <clears throat> But I enjoy the peace of that. So after I got my spanking, one thing I would do next is that we would, we would, we would eat. We would go, go to the store. Mom would be like, well, go put your clothes on. You go with me to the grocery store. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I couldn't wait to get in the car where we're laughing and playing again, where she says something just to make me smile, and I know she's no longer mad at me. And my butt don't still sting a little bit, but the fact that you ain't mad at me no more, I'm like, this is, this is all is right with the world. Some of you weren't like that. You didn't know to look forward to peace after reprimand. And you don't know how to establish peace with authority when you are corrected. It's okay, come around me a lot, I'll teach you. I correct you, you act funny to me, I call you. Why are you acting funny? Well, who's the act? Better, because that's done. We over, you about to ruin the rest of the day. What? The day is ruined. No, it's not. We still got six more hours. We can still have a good time. If you could get over the fact that you were wrong and you had to be disciplined, and now we can just move on. And I encourage you to move on. I do every time. How many people bear witness to, yes, all these people, you just move on, baby. Let's just move on. Let's just, just get over it. Let's move on. Let's enjoy the rest. I don't know. You might make the mistake again later. And if you do, I will reprimand you yet again, if not more severe. But for right now, that's not what we're dealing with. 
Right now is a time of restoration. You run when it's time to restore. Because you petty. Because you're manipulative. You hurt me, I'm going to get you to hurt. I ain't going to be nice to you now if you hurt me. But you agree that you were wrong. And you agree that you needed discipline. So the only reason you're not being nice is because you want to hurt the person that had to do what is a necessity for your life. And that's teach you discipline. What God does is a necessity for your well-being. And yet you still harbor horrible feelings towards him deep down where nobody else knows but you, the Holy Spirit, and sometimes me. He says it burned him up, but he did not take heart. That was verse 25. So chapter 43, verse 1 starts with, but now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you and I have called you by name and you are mine. Y'all don't see the oxymoron here? Y'all don't even see it. Okay, let me, let me, let's show, let some of us, some of us didn't see it. Okay, let's, let's, let's look at it. All right. All right. You were messed up. You had eyes, but they never worked right. You had ears, but you never heard correctly. When I would do things to show you and to correct you, you never really understood what I was correcting or why I was correcting it. And you didn't even take it to heart in order to change and do and not do it again. Like you was just broke. You don't work. Supposed to push this button and this is supposed to come out. And I push the button and nothing comes out. Push the button again, nothing. He says, in everything that I've done, you never really changed in my correction. When I tried to discipline you, when I even set you ablaze, I set you on fire. He was like, Whatever, man. I don't understand this whole thing. And no, no change of heart. Just more deep holes and prisons. And then chapter 43, verse 1 comes and says, he says, but I decided to do something different. <laughs> Have you ever seen anything like this? You, what? I don't know why I'm broke, okay? You be telling me and I can't get it. I be trying, but it don't ever come up right. I be, I be no meaning to do it, but something to me, just when you say this, it don't do it. It's just not working. And he has every right to discard us, to throw us away, to say this is defective. But he says, no, fear not. I'm going to make you mine my own personal project, something I will work on personally in reforming you. Sit on down. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I bought you, even though you was probably worth pennies. But I bought you back. In earlier chapters and later verses, he talks about, I gave Egypt for you, Seba, and, and, and all these other countries. I gave them. Here, you can have Egypt. You can have this other nation. Just give me Israel. 
Israel, the one that completely does not work? Yes. <laughs> Why? Because they're mine. I want them specifically and only because they are mine. Apart from every other nation, apart from every other person, Jacob, I wanted for myself, and I called him by name. Israel, even before Israel was existing, I called it by name. That's mine. But it is, it is not listening to you. They don't do what you're supposed to do. They don't, they don't, when you try to tell them, they don't even do it. You try to find nice. Nice didn't work. Then you get mean. And no matter how mean you get with them, they still end up going further down the wrong path. As if they can't even see that this is you bringing it to them. Like if you know that this is happening because the Lord is displeased with you, it should cause a turnaround. But something has happened in our society where we do not equate that the bad thing is something that God brought to us purposefully. We only know the good stuff. Oh, that was the blessings. Oh, the Lord bless me. Hallelujah. He bring all of it. And because you don't want to recognize that he brings even that, you don't have the wherewithal to turn. You think like the unbelievers that this is just a sequence of events of, 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 of just, uh, what is it called when things just happen? Coincidental. This is just coincidental. This is just, you know, I don't know, it's just stuff. But even stuff is brought to you for a reason. And if you knew that it was God that fired you, if you knew that it was God that evicted you, if you knew that it was God, hello somebody, if you knew that it was God and he was trying to show you something, trying to reform you on the inside, I believe you might have responded a little different. Maybe. Maybe. Not in every case, because some of y'all knew it was God and you didn't even care, you kept doing it. But in most cases, you might have changed. Like, this is how you feel about me? Yes. Oh. One time I told Glenda, she was cutting up. This is back when I lived in Athens. She was cutting up. And then later she came to me and I said, let me tell you something. I am not that much saved. What I was thinking was the curse you slap out. You were thinking that? Yes. Well, why didn't you say it? I would have stopped if you would have said it. Like, oh. <laughs> you know, because sometimes when people are meek and nice, you be thinking you can just keep going. You don't realize Come on now, all that's happening on the inside, me trying to stay, maintain my composure. And you think that my heart is so sweet and nice that I'm not even thinking these types of thoughts. She's so gracious and kind, she's not even thinking that. No. <laughs> I am restrained. But if the Lord allows me the privilege of telling you how I really feel. Ooh, savage. He says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he he formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you and I have called you by name and you are mine. You are mine. This turn of events, which seems so weird, like we are completely messed up, right? The good didn't work to change us. The bad didn't work to change us. Ain't nothing left. And he does something different. He says, eh. I'm going to buy you and just make you fully mine, like just bring you all the way into me. Give you my name, all, you just going to, me and you. What? I didn't understand 
how God thought this would work. So you're going to take the thing that was completely disobedient apart from you and then bring them even closer to you, like commit and give them your name that you would, people will know you by them. Oh, that's one of God's kids. Oh, that's the son of God. What? That's a, that's a daughter of, of God. Yeah. You, you're going to associate yourself with me and I am not not living a saintly life. Why would you do that? In my insides, I'm like, don't do that. Leave me alone. Don't associate yourself with me. Don't even, nobody ask me if I'm a Christian. Don't even ask me, because I don't even know. But he splatters his name right across our foreheads, holds up a banner with the Holy Spirit, rooting that we are children of God. And we're like, what? Stop, shush, this is not right. And I said, Lord, what, what were you thinking? What were you doing? And he gave me a wonderful example on yesterday afternoon. <coughs> My dog, Roman, <coughs> who will be one this month. If you have a pet, you're invited to his puppy party. All right? Um, he'll be one. And I took off his chain collar because he got too big for it. And it was <coughs> cutting him off in the circulation. And I hadn't ordered the new one yet. I opened the door, and Roman chokes out the front door. I was trying to get a package from the lady that was delivering my groceries. And he runs out. And I'm like, Roman, come back. Roman, 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 no. Don't you go on that street. No, he's like. <laughs> he's dodging back and forth. You know my neighbor hates me. So he's, I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm going to have to deal with this issue. You know, he's dodging back and forth. And then the lady gets in the car. She's the dog lover. She's not even phased by this huge pit bull coming at her. And she gets in the car. She starts pulling off, and Roman starts chasing her car. <laughs> she stops, rolls down the window. He barks. She says, go home. I'm like, Roman, you cannot go home with her. You get over here right now. And, and I recognize that I cannot run as fast as him. So every time I run towards him, he runs even further and faster in the opposite direction. This is not going good. I'm trying to come to you, and you are messing it up even worse. And so then my anger is, Roman, you better stop it. You better come here. Roman, you better come here right now. And he is like, I am definitely not coming over there with that. I go this way, he go that way. He think it's a game. Ha ha, you can't catch me. Oh, no, you didn't. Oh, no, you're not out here playing tag with me in front of my whole neighborhood. You was rebellious. <laughs> you know what come here means. And he's made it into a game. This is fun. I'm, I'm dodging back and forth. The lady's like, go back home. I'm like, go over here. And I grab him, and since I have nothing to grab, he just slips out my hand. I mean, it just, he's no collar, nothing. I'm like, no. And he's almost 90 pounds at this point. I couldn't get to him. Then I saw him jotting back and forth, thinking this was funny. And I changed my method. Anger wasn't getting him to come closer. Yelling wasn't getting him to come closer. Y'all don't want to help me here today. Me chasing him was not getting him to, I mean, I would pursue him, and it was not getting him to come any closer. So I changed my method. I said, Roman, come here. He said, mm -mm. 
no, this is fun. I won't come over there, go back in the house with you. No. He just looked at me. Come here. And I said, Roman, bye. And I took off running and I ran in the house and I ran to the left and I ran to the He said, and he came running after me. to play I decided to meet you where you were at and if that did not draw you the Bible says the goodness of the father draws us to repentance you switched the game on me when you didn't even have to you played my game when I was completely wrong you made me yours and accepted me when I was the complete opposite of what you should accept you flipped the whole game and you had every right to let me run off. You had every right to be angry and fight and fuss with me and to continue down that path, but you didn't. You changed the whole game just for me. That is, sit on down. That is that's ludicrous. When he showed me that, I said, oh, I get it. I get it. When you love somebody, y'all don't want to help me today. When you love somebody and they are yours. See, if this dog wasn't mine, I would have been like, oh, don't come here. No, somebody never get that dog. <laughs> right? I tried. But when they're yours and you love them, regardless of how they are leaving and running and messing this up, you are gonna sit here and try to figure out a way to bring them back to you. How, how can I get you back here with me? I know you think that this is fun. This has some huge consequences. Getting hit by a car, getting the animal protection people calling. This has a lot of problems that you don't foresee coming and, and, and you don't really know that you think you can handle those things but you can't, you need to come back home. You need to come on back here, you, you get beside yourself. And because I love you enough, all pride is out the window. What did the movie say, all cool points is gone? All cool points is out the window, hello somebody. I don't care about looking cool. I don't care about the, the principle of the matter. What I care about is you. I mean, he literally laid down all principle and rightly bought you back so he doesn't have to worry about it being unrighteous because all he wanted was you. He literally, the scriptures in chapter 42 and 43 says, I literally gave other peoples for you. Nations that were far wealthier, far greater, far more potential. Not only, I gave them all because you were mine. I acquired them, but you, I created you. I formed you. Oh, y'all don't want to help me today. I called you by name before you even got here is what the scripture says. All right? Hello? The idea of, of forming, <laughs> to reform, to reform something, to form it again, to reformation, it highlights the top verse, the clause A of that verse, that Jacob I created and Israel I formed. This created and formed definitely shows us Genesis where he took dust and dirt and he formed Adam after he created Adam. So there's the idea of 
Reformation happening and forming, just to form something, is different than creating something. So if you take a lump of clay, right, if you create clay, it is pretty much irrelevant until you form it. All right? You can create clay. Anybody can create clay. You take dirt and you take water and you put them in the right percentages and you have clay. Yeah. All right? So you can create clay, but a lump of clay is pretty much just moist dirt until you actually form it. There's tons of created things. There's a world full of creation. But there's very selected amount of forming. Many are called, few are chosen. There's a ton of created things, but there are very specific individuals that heed the call of formation. Hello? When I look at this clay versus forming, the clay is just wet dirt. Yay, you made a different type of dirt. But it doesn't really mean anything until you form it into something that you desire. Something pretty, something useful, something tangible, a bowl, a cup, a mug, a hat hook, a doorstop. I don't know. But it doesn't really work for its fullest potential. It doesn't really serve its fullest potential as to why you created it until it is formed. You specifically put water and dirt together to make clay. But it doesn't matter what you put it together and created it for until it actually is formed. Right? Everyone wants to know, I want to know my purpose. I want to know why God created me. I want to know purpose-driven life. Oh, God told me my purpose. And all of this is great. But if you knew your purpose, could you actually form yourself? The answer is no. You cannot. So knowing your purpose is not nearly as important as allowing yourself to be formed. That's why I don't really like the purpose-driven book. Not that it's not a good book. I just don't like what it made Christians. More egocentric, self-centered. It was just another way of taking American consumerism and success and making it spiritual. Trying to figure out your purpose. For what? If you heard God say, I want to make you a cup. Could you make yourself a cup any faster? No. I want to make you a bowl. When you start seeing, oh, I'm not coming into a bowl, what you going to do? Knock yourself off? Reshape yourself? You can, all you can do is like, I don't think this is much of a bowl. <laughs> How are you going to make a bowl out of this? And you can be curious about it all you want, but can't do nothing about it. You can be curious and observe, like, what am I supposed to do? I mean, I have no arms to shape myself. I just have to do that. But this don't look like much of a bowl. Now you're just a sad bowl in the making. A doubtful bowl in the making. An anxious bowl in the making. Now you're just a worrisome bowl in the making. You just sitting there, this, this doubt, and I don't know if this is the right way to handle me. I don't really know if this is how I'm supposed to be doing. What am I supposed to be? I thought you said I was going, and all of this, and it's not going to change nothing. 
all this emotion, all this feeling, all this aggravation, all this frustration, bitterness, and anger towards God because you think you observe something and you still can't do nothing about it. Sit on down. To all my control freaks, wake up. This message is for you. Because you think if I know, I can then thus make myself with what I know. Life will tell you this is not true. But some of you just love being on the rat wheel with the carrot dangling in front of your face that you don't want to deal with reality because you love control so much. I'd rather keep this than the alternative because I don't know what that's going to be like. So I don't even want to explore the idea that I can't really make myself. Because we live in a society where making yourself is prized. Everything about our society says, make yourself. The hero in our stories, as we talked about, is the one that came from the bottom and went to the top. He's a hero. He's a self-made man. But technically, the hero should be the person who was at the top and gave everything in order to serve at the bottom. That would be more heroic. But our culture is so twisted that we call heroism self-making rather than submission. Satan said, I will make myself like God. I will be more like Most High. I know you're not going to like this. You're not going to like it because what I'm doing is shaking up every foundation that is contrary to the word of God that you've been trying to live. But I ain't got nothing to lose. My church already dwindled down to just a couple of handful of people. Hello, somebody. I don't get paid. I'm not on salary. What I got to lose? Nothing. I can tell you the truth without any problems. What you going to do, not pay me? <laughs> not going to happen. You know, it's, 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 it's. But there is a way that you're trying to live that is contrary to what Christianity and being formed by the Spirit is. And you're going to consistently have conflict in your life, fighting against God until you grasp this. You'll make it to heaven, but you would have made it miserably to heaven. I'm not saying you're not going to go into heaven. You just would have went in struggling. you that bold, just sitting there, I don't think this is right. Just a miserable forming. Right? No, not right. You don't want that. Okay, great. Let's go. Let's look at an example of clay. Hello? We're going to look at an example of clay, but I'm not going to go to the one you want right now which is the potter's house in Jeremiah. I'm not going to go there yet. Instead, I want to take you to Romans. Romans talks about clay and vessels being made. Chapter 9, a very controversial chapter. Christians for ages have argued this chapter. Individuals in themselves have became disheartened by this chapter. Confused, disappointed, a tad bit dejected by Romans chapter 9. So much so that when we get to this part of scripture, we are uncomfortable and we just kind of move on. 
because it's challenging something in us. Let's go to Romans chapter 9. Are you there? Let's start at uh, verse 6. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Stop right there. For years, I've read modern Christianity into this verse. That one line, for children of the promise are counted as the seed where we have made the promise a contractual agreement. So as long as I have faith, then I am of the seed, which is true, right? But it's not what this verse is saying. It's highlighting children and who is called a child of God versus who's not and how they became children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as the seed. All right, let's stop there. So Abraham's descendants, and Abraham had multiple sons. Well, I'm not yet yeah, Isaac, right? No, 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 yeah, Ishmael, Isaac, yes. Yeah, Ishmael, right? So he had other sons and other sons' lineages. And when you talk to um, some of our Muslims um, in the world and Islamic um, uh, the Muslims, and, and, and they all claim to be the seed of Ishmael, the right seed of Abraham. That's kind of where that history goes back to. All right. But what this verse is saying, even before um, Islam shows up, is that that's not about who was born from Abraham. It's not about who genetically came from Abraham. What it's really about is who came from the promise. And will that be Isaac? Yes, but what he's trying to show is I promised Isaac to Abraham before Isaac was born. Okay, okay, okay. Let me do it again. All right. Everybody born after Isaac, that's the promise. We all came to see the Isaac. No, 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 that's not what he's saying. He's saying I promised Abraham a son named Isaac that I will have covenant with before Isaac was born. Right? He did the same thing with Jacob. He called for Jacob and said that Jacob would be served by his older brother Esau, which is the latter verse that comes up. And he says, Jacob, I loved and Esau, I hated. And he says these things and established their order before anybody did anything wrong. Before anybody did anything right. Hello? When we look at the story of Jacob, we be like, he was a mess. We don't be like, yay, that's a goals. No, he literally wrestled with God. I, I, I don't think you should have done that. You lied and connived and schemed against stuff. I, you, 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 you disenfranchised your own brother. You, you, you really used what you had against him. He was not a good person and a good role model. But the seed of Israel came from him. Why? 
because according to this verse, because that's who God called and claimed for himself. Jacob is mine. Israel is mine. Isaac, when you have him, he's mine. What? Isaac, he's going to be mine. It's going to be just, just, it's mine. Abraham was like, cool. That's why this whole sacrifice, blah, 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 because he's yours. Whatever you want to do with him, he's yours. That's why the sacrifice of Isaac was so important because Abraham recognized that Isaac is yours and you are free to do with whatever you want to do with whatever is yours. Right? So Abraham said, hey, that was your son. You told me from the jip, from the jump, that that son was going to be yours. So you want to slaughter him on the altar? All right. It's going to be hard, but hey, he's your son. Abraham could have clearly said he's my son before yours. He could have clearly said, I love him too much. This will affect our family too greatly. This will change everything about me and my wife, right? But instead he recognized that since you promised it, when I could not have children, and then you gave me a child, and you said if this happens that it is mine, then it is definitely yours. Because ain't no way I could have done this on my own. I could not have made Isaac on my own. So he's yours. Now Isaac and Jacob, this is just a touch of theology, little tweaks in your understanding of scripture, okay? Isaac and Jacob were called to be gods before they were born. This meant that neither one of them did anything good to say, oh, you special. Oh, you got the right heart. You got the right spirit on the inside to be mine. Before any of that was displayed, he made him yours. Let's keep reading, right? And not only this, but when Rebekah also conceived by one man, even our father Isaac, for the children not being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. Pretty much, it just said what I just said, right? It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Stop right there. This messes us up. Because the scripture is proving that you belong to God because he wanted you to belong to him. Period. It's not because you willed to belong to him. It's not because you desired to belong to him. It's not because you run a good race of Christianity that you belong to him. You are his because he established that when he formed you in your mother's womb. Before we even had a chance to see how good of a person or bad of a person you were going to be. You could produce all the bad. He was like, yep, that's a ton of bad. But they're still mine. That's mine. Put my name on it. That's mine. And I would go, but why? What if we don't make it in? And you know what the father knows? That's impossible. Hallelujah. 
because I, similar to pastor, know how to get her dog back in the house. It's impossible. I know every trick you got. I know every scheme you plan. I know every desire of your heart. I know everything you're thinking before you even think it. I know your thoughts are far off, says the word of God. It is impossible for you not to be reunited with me. He's not trusting it based off of you. He's trusting it based off of himself. I know me. You are irrelevant. I know me. I know what I am capable of doing. And I am definitely capable of getting you back home. Y'all don't want to help me preach today. Woo! Hallelujah. Sit on down. Yep, I'm going to call that one Isaac. Jacob is, is Israel. Yep, they're mine. They are horrible people. Don't worry about that. Satan, don't even worry about that. Take your little nations I gave you and leave us alone. This is my house. I got this. Unfazed by your waywardness. Unfazed by your rebellion. Unfazed by your little pity party, your tantrum that you're throwing. Unfazed by all the crappy stuff that he finds in your heart. He is still unfazed. Right? Is I will have mercy on who I will have mercy on and compassion on whomever I want to have compassion on. He's but if you picking to be to make these people righteous, they is terrible people. So now that you you make an unrighteous people righteous, then you unrighteous. Uh uh-uh. uh. No, I'm not. I can have mercy. Cause I'm the king. And I can have compassion. Cause I'm the king. On whoever I want. Mercy by definition means that he identifies you've done something wrong. It means that you know and he knows you did wrong. So he's not making your wrong right. He's being merciful. That's why I can't stand that song. He's not making your wrongs right. There's a lyric that's going out right now, all right? He's not making your wrongs right. He's establishing that they are wrong, and yet he is being merciful to you. I'm having compassion on you. I know you don't understand what's happening, all right? And I ain't going to just let you run off. I love you. You need to come back home. I'll be nice. Come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on, sweet. Come on, baby. Come on. Whatever it takes, that's fine. Even if I got to die on the cross, it's fine. If I got to give my actual good son, my actual obedient son, my actually perfect son, even if I have to give him as ransom for you, y'all don't want to help me today i'm gonna take the one that was flawless and perfect perfectly obedient i'm gonna give him as ransom to get his brothers back now what pastor this is when i look at what you're saying pastor what i'm living restore restore it's all right I'm, i'm gonna lead you don't worry about it i got you i got you at the end, you'll all will be right. Amen? All right, he says, I will have passion, compassion, and mercy on who I want. Verse 17, for the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. 
what you trying to say? Because back in the book of Genesis, you hardened Pharaoh's heart. Right? You hardened Pharaoh's heart. It's, I told Pharaoh, the only reason I'm making you great, I'm raising you up, is that I might use you to declare in all the earth my power. What? I'm Pharaoh, I'm going to make you the biggest empire the world has seen by far. And then I'm going to use you to show my power to all the world. You want to be king? Great. I want you to be king for my purposes, not for yours. <gasps> Can you imagine being Pharaoh? Your wildest dreams came true. My empire is huge, great, gold, everything. I mean, nobody is matching Pharaoh at this point. He's like, yep. Ah, that looks good. You're really running it. And my baby Israel is now fully formed. Give me my baby. Nah, Pharaoh. Uh -uh, uh -uh. That's mine. No, 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 no. I established before you was even called Pharaoh to every power and principality that was bore witness thousands of years ago that that child right there is mine. And they grew in bondage and slavery. And now it's time for them to come out because they're mine. Give them up. Pharaoh's like, this ain't how this is supposed to go. Couple of arms of God, he relented. Okay, go ahead and go. And then God hardened his heart. And we look at that and go, Pharaoh stood no chance. He was going to disobey God anyway. What? That's terrible. Verse 19, ask the same question you're thinking. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay? From the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another vessel for dishonor. All control freaks are like, I don't even like Christianity anymore. Like the way you're saying it, uh, if that's what it's saying, that you're saying, what you're saying, yeah, I'm just reading what it said, then I don't even like this. I think this is all. You're agreeing with what they're saying here. Something is wrong with this. How could you find fault when, when we're just clay in your hands? How could you be mad at us when, when you, you formed us and you do whatever you want to do with us? Why would you then say that we're bad? Good question, huh? It was already answered. It was already answered that I might show my power and might among nations. So you mean to tell me, let's be Pharaoh, that you're going to make me king and ruler, and then you're going to put your people in my nation, then you're going to let them grow and get me all comfortable with having them here, and then you're going to take them from me, and then when I say, fine, go, because I don't want to fight with you, then you harden my heart, and I end up fighting with you. Also, everybody else would know that I'm God, that you're God. Yes. I don't like it. Okay. That part. That part. But you come from a seed of Isaac, 
who was laid at an altar. I'm sure he didn't like that. Hello? You want the benefits of being the promise, but you don't want to submit to what, to knowing what that entails. Not submit to what it entails, because that's going to happen regardless whether you submit or not, but to knowing what that entails. Nessus, Pharaoh said, so you mean to tell me, you telling me right now that you're going to harden my heart so that you could show Israel, your promised people, your might? Yes. You're going to use me like that? Yes. Why? Because that's what I said I was going to do when I made you. This was my intention. I wanted a bowl called Pharaoh. I made a bowl called Pharaoh. I wanted a cup called Egypt. I made a cup called Egypt. And I wanted a spoon called Israel. And I made a spoon called Israel. I'm creator. All of you are mine. You don't like what I made you? That's a you problem. I'm going to show you why. That's a you problem. Verse 22. What if God wanting to show his wrath? Oh, wait, let me back up. Verse 20. Where would I, where'd I leave you guys off at? 19? Okay. You will then say to me, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? Who can resist what God wants? But indeed, O oh man, are you going to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay? For the same lump to make one vessel for honor and one vessel for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Hello? I'm, I'm not going to leave you. Don't worry. <laughs> Y'all like, Pastor? Pastor? Uh, it's a glitch. Something's happening. <laughs> hang in there. Hang in there. Hang in there. The Spirit of God is moving on your insides to reform you. Hang in there. All right? All right. He says, what if God wanted to show his wrath? In essence, the, the conversation is flipped. I made vessels of dishonor, and I, I don't even like it. I don't even like the fact that there are vessels of wrath. I have to endure this part, that the vessels of honor might know my riches, the depths of my love, the depths of my mercy, and the depths of my grace. Because without this vessel of dishonor, you would not know the depths of my mercy and grace. You wouldn't know. Without the vessels of dishonor, without the Pharaoh, Israel would not have known the power of God to deliver. Let me put it back home. Without that man of dishonor, without that woman of dishonor, without that bill of dishonor, without that job of dishonor, you would not have known the depths of God's mercy, the depths of his forgiveness, the depths of his provision. You would not have known it. Yeah. So what if I create things and I create things to show you more deeply who I am? 
You should be ecstatic that you are mine. That I've made a promise specific to you. That even though all of creation is mine, you and I, your, your, your end is going to look completely different. That's my promise to you. And I will endure this so you might see me fully. That's what those verses are saying. Right? Woo-wee. This is tough. This is tough. So now what you trying to tell me? <coughs> what you trying to tell me, Pastor, is like God, he, j- he can just move on the inside of us and in our minds and our hearts and even non-believers and, and everybody. Everything is his, and he just moves stuff around and do what he wants in order to show himself to whom he wants to show himself to. Yes, that's exactly what he does. Well, well that, that really sucks for the vessels of dishonor. Are you the vessel of dishonor? No, I don't think I'm the vessel of dishonor, but I could look at if they are vessels of dishonor, that's really bad for them. Is it? Going back to the question that was asked in Paul's uh, explanation, why do you find fault? Why do you still find fault if you harden my heart? Right? Well, let's think about that. Let's unpack that. If I forgive you and save you, regardless of your desire or will, what happened to your faults? They're gone. Oh, let me back, back, do it again. I will forgive your faults regardless of you. I will wash them all away. So is me finding fault the problem? If I provided a way of escape for the faults that I see. Now y'all don't want to help me today. Is the fault an issue if I also provided a way out of what I declare as a fault, but I have to show that this is evil and this is good and this is bad and this is good and this is honorable and this is dishonorable, but the fault is not problematic because I have forgiven all. Y'all better celebrate some good theology. Why do you find fault? I can find fault, but I can also handle fault. I can find fault. I can tell you it was wrong. I can yell and scream, but I know how to get you back in that house. Fault is not a problem to me, says the Lord. I provided a way of escape for that. I provided a way in the wilderness. Hello? One of the verses in, in, in chapter 42 and 43 of Isaiah, he says, you have made a, 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 a river. What does it say? Where, where, where is it? I wanted, to, I wanted to show you that. He said, you made a river in the wilderness, he said, and a, de- a river in the deserts and a way in the wilderness. You want to talk about reforming. He equates what he's doing to Jacob and Israel as how he would do with things around them. I will take you to a desert, but I'll make a river. I'll take you to the wilderness, but I'll make a way. By definition, if there's a river in the desert, it's not a desert. By definition, if there's a way cut through the wilderness, it is no longer a wilderness. 
I am not afraid of fault. I'm not afraid of problems. I'm not afraid of sin. I'm not afraid of circumstances. I can transform and reform everything that I desire. And will that you might know that I am God. I will do it that you might know that I am God. I reform you and I reform your whole situation. That's terrible. But is it though? I don't know how I would have made it. Really? You can't see? Now you have eyes to see. Look, look at how you began to see. It, we went from blind to now look at how you can see. Some of you are really seeing. Some of you are really hearing the gospel for the first time. Really hearing it for what it means. I'm not afraid of faults. Why do you find fault? I have to find fault so that people might know what is not me and what is me. But I don't care nothing about that because I can save you from that. Just come on. Come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Come on, you ain't got to be out there with that fault. Come on, I got you. Come on in. There was a woman named Adelaide Pollard. Anybody ever know him? Her? Adelaide Pollard. She was a songwriter. Well, she was, an, she was a songwriter on accident. She really was a missionary who desired to go to Africa. It was like the one big move. She all, I just want to go missionize in Africa. This is years and years and years ago, right? And when everything got lined up for her to go, she didn't have the financial support. Like the door was open, the timing was right, but she didn't have enough money. And she went to church completely disappointed. She was frustrated. She couldn't understand why God told me to go here, do it like this, and then it, didn't, then it went like this. Then I thought I was doing what God wanted. Then it went like this and did like that. And she just, she really upset. Anybody ever been there? But she's at church very angry about how this thing that she thought was God did not go well. Hello? It's back in 1907. And an old elderly woman began to pray in service. And she said, this elderly woman prayed something that I could not shake. She prayed, this old woman prayed, it really doesn't matter what you do with us, Lord. Just have your own way with our lives. It really doesn't matter what you do with us, Lord. Just have thine own way with our lives. She penned the song, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. A beautiful hymn that we sing, right? Well, not here, but in other places. What this elderly woman recognized is whether I'm Pharaoh or Israel, have thine own way. Whether you make me in a season of dishonor or make me to be in a season of honor, have thine own way. Bearing in mind that both the vessels of dishonor and the vessels of honor belong to God. Yeah, 
Let's go to Jeremiah. There are seasons in your life where it would appear as though you are a dishonorable vessel. And yet still used by God. How is this so? How is it that I messed this up? My heart ain't right. It's all janky. But yet I still find myself talking to people about God and telling people about Jesus. And you're still using me. And oh, am I a vessel of dishonor at this particular time? And it does not matter because all my sins have been and will be forgiven. So thus, have thine own way, O oh Lord. Have thine own way. You don't know how to surrender. You've got mistakes. You've got faults. You've got problems. You've got weaknesses. The father knew it before he called you and formed you in your mother's womb. He called you his with all of those defects. And he uses every last one of them. He uses your proclivity to lust. He uses your proclivity to lie, to steal, to cheat, to be selfish. He uses all of those things. And for a season, you might be a pharaoh. But you'll always be an Israel. I can show it to you. I can show it to you. Are you in Jeremiah chapter 18? Let's look at where Paul was re referring when he was talking about clays and vessels. He was looking at the prophet Jeremiah <clears throat> being told by the Lord about some, the problem that was happening with, with Israel. They were, again, wayward. Again, not producing anything. Deaf, blind, can't hear, can't see, can't get nothing right. And their hearts just not even lining up, right? The word came to that, that Jeremiah, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise, verse 2, and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his will. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it. That's, that's the Reformation part. Into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. The potter was making something. And while he was making something, the clay, womp, womp, right? Womp, womp. You know, you spin this little, little spinning thing and, like, and it's like gush all over. What I like to highlight here first is that it's still clay. Y'all don't want to help me. It's still moldable clay. That's huge. That means it's still in process. It's still being formed. You are a fluid concept. I tell you this every, all the time. I can't believe I did this. Mm, you're a fluid concept. I never would have, mm, you're a fluid concept. While he was making something that was in the mind of the potter, Something that was in the heart of the potter, right? We don't know if this vessel was going to be a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor. It was in the heart and mind of the creator, the former, the potter, right? But whatever he had in mind, the thing flip-flopped and did something that was not in line with what he had in mind. 
So then he decided to make it into another type of vessel. Y'all don't want to help me. Don't you want to know how the will of God is also affected by you? Uh-huh. Because Romans 9 say, eh, eh, we don't know. It's whatever he wants. But yes, but look at where he's referencing a concept in Jeremiah that to the hearers that Paul was preaching to, they should have understood. All right. Verse 5. <clears throat> then the word of the Lord came to me. That's Jeremiah. O house of Israel. Can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in a potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Right? You got a little flip-flop in the midst of what he was doing. It's all right. He'll reform it to something else. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom, this is verse 7. This verse 7 is putting all of this in context about the pot, the clay being marred in his hand, spoiled from his original intention. Are you listening? If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up, break down and destroy it. Right. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from evil, womp womp, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will build and plant, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, womp, womp, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do. What you're doing in his hands is how he determines what vessel you will be. This is going to be a vessel of dishonor. But Jesus, save me and forgive me of my sin. Now you're made into a vessel of honor. This is a vessel of honor. I don't know about this, Jesus. Now dishonor. Right? That's a big deal. Put it in context. We talk about the mart in the hand, but we don't go on further to recognize that the mart is for vessels of honor or dishonor. To repent or to walk away. And then he changes and relents what he originally said based off of what kind of flip-flop you did in his hand. Now, the thing I love about clay is that let's say you say womp womp and now it's a vessel of dishonor, right? And God doesn't like it, but he needs it. And he endures this dishonorable vessel. He sits it and he uses it for dishonorable things, right? Not what he enjoys. He uses it for honorable things. I don't know how he uses it, but he don't like it, but he endures it. If at any point you feel that I am now casted, that means you form me, shape me, and now I am solid. I've been baked in the oven, heated, brought up to temperature, and now hardened. If you ever got hardened, as a vessel of dishonor. The thing about clay is all it takes is brokenness and water. All it takes is a little bit of breaking and a little bit of righteous rivers, a flood, a deluge, some water, a river in the desert. All it takes is a, is a cistern, a fountain of living waters bubbling on the inside. All it takes is a little bit of breaking and a little bit of water and you are now able to be reshaped and reused and put back in the game. Get put back in the game. He's peasy. To do what? We don't know yet. 
Sometimes good stuff, sometimes bad stuff. Either way, have thine own way with my life. All right, that's it in closing. We got 51 more weeks, guys. There was one man who ended his life as a vessel of dishonor. The most tragic thing we've ever seen. And scholars have picked apart how he lived and how he walked in order to ascertain how he could be so disgraceful. And this is none other than Judas. We picked apart how he was all talking about the money. We picked apart how he probably, you know, was whispering behind, you know, Judas, he bad. But Judas was a necessity. If it wasn't Judas, it could have been Peter, and we'd be saying, oh, you a Peter. It had to be someone. Y'all don't want to help. We've got a vessel of honor on a cross, but in order to get the vessel of honor on a cross that we might show the compassion and mercy of God, there needs to be a vessel of dishonor that will put him on the cross. Pastor, don't leave us. (laughs) Is there more? Yes. This vessel of dishonor, right? Judas who sold out Christ for 200 pieces of silver, went and threw the silver back at the Pharisees' feet. I don't want your blood money. I should never have done this. It was a terrible mistake. Did he not? When Judas hung himself and killed himself, what did they do with that money? They bought a field to bury him in, but not just any field. They bought a potter's field. Oh, y'all don't want to help me today. They bought a potter's field. I can't make this stuff up. It's right here. They bought a potter's field. Now, what is a potter's field used for? One, breaking and making more clay. They buried this vessel of dishonor in a potter's field. He still got the last say, God. And now potter's fields were dug because they became a potter's field because that's where they can get very good, valuable dirt, red soil from in order to make clay. And so they would dig trenches in order to harvest the clay to make great vessels. He was buried in a place where they go to get great vessels. Standing all over the house. That's got to be blessing somebody's soul in here. I thought I messed up beyond measure. I tried to make it right, but it seemed like I still couldn't make it right. I was used as a vessel of dishonor, but the Lord made sure that all would know that I was buried still as a vessel by God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on and celebrate. Hallelujah. That's good theology. Mm, 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 good. That's good application. Mm, 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 good. That's good teaching. That's good preaching. That's good revelation. That's good enlightenment. Come on, somebody. Mm, mm, mm. That's how you go into the new year, okay? That's the new year meal right there. That's, that's what I'm talking about. That's good as black eyed peas, cornbread, and collard greens. <laughs>